إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we were talking last week regarding the statement Subhanallah and we mentioned some of the virtues of Subhanallah and then after that there are still a few more narrations to mention regarding the virtues of the statement Subhanallah. We mentioned last time the narrations that highlighted whoever says it a hundred times a day, then nobody will come on the day of judgment with anything better than him, except the one who says it more. Like in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, مَنْ قَالَ حِينَ يُصْبِحُ وَحِينَ يُمْسِي سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ مِئَةَ مَرَّةِ لَمْ يَأْتِ أَحَدٌ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ بِأَخْضَلَ مِمَّا جَاءَ بِهِ إِلَّا أَحَدٌ قَالَ مِثْلَ مَا قَالْ أَوْ زَادَ عَلَيْهِ That whomsoever says in the morning and in the evening سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ A hundred times Then nobody will come on the day of judgment with anything better than what he comes with except for someone who says what he said and then adds on to that extra. And also it is mentioned in another hadith where Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu anhu he says, Kunna inda Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam We were with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And the Prophet said, أَيَعْجِزُ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَكْسِبَ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ أَلْفَ حَسَنًا Is any of you incapable of getting a thousand rewards a day? فَسَأَلَهُ سَائِلٌ مِّن جُلَسَائِهِ So one of the attendees asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, كَيْفَ يَكْسِبُ أَحَدُنَا أَلْفَ حَسَنًا How can one of us gain a thousand rewards? قَالَ He said, يُسَبِّحُ مِئَةَ تَسْبِيحَ فَيُكْتَبُ لَهُ أَلْفُ حَسَنًا أَوْ يُحَطُّ عَنْهُ أَلْفُ خَطِيئًا A person, he does the tasbih of Allah a hundred times, so a thousand good deeds are written for him, or a thousand bad deeds are wiped away from him. And in the other hadith, the famous narration of Abu Hurairah in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, كَلِمَتَانِ خَفِيفَتَانِ عَلَى اللِّسَانِ حَبِيبَتَانِ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ ثَقِيلَتَانِ فِي الْمِيزَانِ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ Two words or two statements that are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are light and easy to say upon the tongue but they will be heavy in the weighing scales 
the statement Subhanallah wa bihamdih and Subhanallah al-Azim. Also, it has been mentioned khussa lafz ar-Rahman bi-dhikr huna لِأَنَّ الْمَقْصُودِ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ بَيَانُ سِعَةِ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى عَلَى عِبَادِهِ حَيْثُ يُجَازِي عَلَى الْعَمَلِ الْقَلِيلِ بِالثَّوَابِ الْجَزِيلِ Notice in the narration it says كَلِمَتَانِ حَبِيبَتَانِ إِلَى الرَّحْمَانِ Two statements that are beloved to الرَّحْمَان and it doesn't say in the narration two statements that are beloved to Allah. It uses the name Ar-Rahman in the narration. And that is to indicate, to highlight to you the point which is the great mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon a person who says these simple words, the great amount of reward by the mercy of Allah that the person receives upon this simple remembrance and simple dhikr. We also mentioned last time, the hadith of Jabir radiyallahu anhu, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ قَالَ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ الْعَظِيمِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ غُرِسَتْ لَهُ نَخْلَةٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ That whomsoever says, Subhanallah, al-Azim, وَبِحَمْدِهِ, then a, tree is planted for him in paradise. So those were some of the narrations highlighting the great virtues of the statement, Subhanallah. We briefly mentioned previously that everything in creation, all of the inanimate objects included, they do the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The inanimate objects, they do the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى لِكَمَالِ عَظَمَتِهِ وَتَمَامِ مُلْكِهِ وَعِزَّتِهِ تُسَبِّحُ لَهُ جَمِيعُ الْكَائِنَاتِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the completeness and perfection of His greatness and majesty and kingdom, is that all of the affairs, all of the things in creation, do the glorification of Allah. Min sama'in, from the heavens or the skies, wa ardin and the earth, wa jibal and the mountains, wa ashjar and the trees, wa shams and the sun, وَقَمَرْ and the moon, وَحَيَوَانْ and the animals, وَطَيْرْ and the birds, وَإِن مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ There isn't anything except that it glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in an ayah of the Qur'an it mentions, تُسَبِّحُ لَهُ السَّمَاوَاتُ السَّبْعُ وَالْأَرْضُ وَمَنْ فِيهِنَّ The seven heavens, they glorify the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the earth, and everything that is within them. The seven heavens, and the earth, and everything that is within them, they glorify the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ And there is not anything except that it glorifies His praises. وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ But you do not comprehend, you do not hear their glorification of Allah. The trees, the stones, everything in creation glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you do not hear or understand and comprehend their glorification of Allah. إِنَّهُ كَانَ حَلِيمًا And also in another ayah, it mentions, وَسَخَّرْنَا مَعَ دَاوُودَ الْجِبَالَ يُسَبِّحْنَا وَالطَّيْرَ وَكُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ that we made alongside Dawood, the mountains that do the glorification, yusabbihna. That they, the mountains, also glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And similarly, inna sakharna al-jibala ma'ahu yusabbihna bil-ashiyyi wal-ishraq. That the mountains, they do the glorification in the morning, at the sunrise, and in the evening. فَهَذِهِ النُّصُوصِ الْعَظِيمَةِ تَدُلُّ دَلَالَةً ظَاهِرَةً أَنَّ جَمِيعَ الْكَائِنَاتِ تُسَبِّحُ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلُ So these narrations, they all highlight to you that everything in creation glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَالْحَيَوَانَاتُ تُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ الْحَيَوَانَاتُ تُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ the animals, they do the glorification of Allah. And the plants and vegetation, they do the glorification of Allah. And the inanimate objects, the mountains, etc., they do the glorification of Allah. وَإِن but we, of course, do not hear and understand and comprehend the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَهُوَ تَسْبِيحٌ حَقِيقِيٌ يَصْدُرُ مِنْ هَذِي الْكَائِنَاتِ بِلِسَانِ الْمَقَالِ وَلَيْسَ بِلِسَانِ الْحَالِ كَمَا يَدَّعِيهِ بَعْضُهُمْ وَاللَّهُ جَلَّ وَعَلَى يَجْعَلُ لِهَذِي الْكَائِنَاتِ إِدْرَاكَاتِ تُسَبِّحُ بِهَا يَعْلِمُهَا هُوَ جَلَّ وَعَلَى وَنَحْنُنَا نَعْلَمُهَا أو يَعْلَمُهَا هُوَ جَلَّ وَعَلَى وَنَحْنُ لَا نَعْلَمُهَا So all of these things, they in reality do the glorification of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates within them that they are able to do the glorification of Allah. We do not comprehend that from them of course. But everything in creation, it does the glorification of Allah. In the Qur'an, Allah tells us, وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ There is nothing in creation except that it glorifies the praises of Allah. But you do not comprehend their glorification. That is Surah Al-Isra, ayah number 44. And some of the narrations 
that further talk about these types of affairs. Some of the scholars they said, وَلَيْسَ هَذَا مِنْ بَابِ وَلَيْسَ هَذَا الْأَمْرِ بِأَعْجَبِ مِنْ تَسْبِيحِ الْحَصَى فِي يَدِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَتَسْبِيحُ الطَّعَامِ وَهُوَ يُؤْكَلْ وَقَدْ كَانَ يَسْمَعُ ذَلِكَ الصُّحَابَةُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ Some people they try to claim that the inanimate objects and everything in creation, they do not do the glorification of Allah in reality. That it is something else, it is not something in reality that they glorify Allah. But that is a mistake from them. These inanimate objects and all of the affairs in creation do the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's mentioned in some of the narrations how the pebbles in the hand of the Prophet were doing the glorification of Allah. And how the food was glorifying Allah when it was being eaten. And the companions heard that as well. So there are clear narrations of that occurring. In Al-Bukhari it mentions from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu qal, كُنَّا نَعُدُّ الْآيَاتِ بَرَكَةً وَأَنْتُمْ تَعُدُّونَهَا تَخْوِيفًا كُنَّا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم فِي سَفَرٍ فَقَلَّ الْمَاءِ فَقَالَ اطْلُبُوا فَضْلَةً مِنْ مَاءِ فَجَاءُوا بِإِنَاءٍ فِيهِ مَاءٌ قَلِيلٌ فَأَدْخَلَ يَدَهُ فِي الْإِنَاءِ ثُمَّ قَالَ حَيَّ عَلَى الطَّهُورِ الْمُبَارَكِ وَالْبَرَكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ فَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ الْمَاءَ يَنْبَعُ مِنْ بَيْنِ أَصَابِعِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَلَقَدْ كُنَّا نَسْمَعُ تَسْبِيحَ الطَّعَامِ وَهُوَ يُؤْكَلْ Hadith in Al-Bukhari Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that we used to consider these signs as a barakah but you consider them as something frightening something frightening but we used to be with the Prophet in a journey we were with the Prophet on a journey and the water began to run out. So he said to us, go and look for spare water. So they found a vessel with a little bit of water in it. So the Prophet ﷺ put his hand into that vessel with the tiny bit of water in it and said to them, come, gather upon this blessed water, this purification and the blessing is from Allah. And so he says, we saw the water pouring from the fingers of the Prophet ﷺ. Water pouring out from the fingers of the Prophet ﷺ. And he says, we used to hear the food doing the tasbih of Allah whilst it was being eaten. The companions heard that occurring. فَلِلَّهِ مَا أَعْظَمُهَا مِنْ آيَةٍ تَدُلُّ عَلَى كَمَالِ الْمُرْسِلِ سُبْحَانَهِ وَصِدْقَ الْمُرْسَلِ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ وَسَلَامُهُ عَلَيْهِ So this is a tremendous sign. The companions heard the food doing the tasbih whilst it was being eaten. And the hadith is in Al-Bukhari. So this indicates the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the truthfulness of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And so in this hadith it highlights that when the food was in the hand of the Prophet ﷺ being eaten, it was doing the tasbih. وَكَلَّمَهُ ذِرَاعُ الشَّاتِ الْمَسْمُومَةِ وَأَعْلَمَهُ بِمَا فِيهِ مِنَ السُّمْءِ when the Prophet ﷺ in that other narration was given a leg of lamb, <coughs> but it was poisoned. So it is mentioned in that narration how that piece of meat spoke to the Prophet ﷺ and informed him that it had been poisoned. وَشَهِدَتْ بِنُبُوَّتِهِ الْحَيَوَانَاتِ الْإِنْسِيَّ وَالْوَحْشِيَّ وَالْجَمَادَاتِ أَيْضًا كَمَا تَقَدَّمَ بَسْطُ ذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ وَلَا شَكَّ أَنَّ صُدُورَ التَّسْبِيحِ مِنَ الْحَصَى الصِّغَارِ الصُّمْءَ الَّتِي لَا تَجَاوِيفَ فِيهَا أَعْجَبُ مِنْ صُدُورِ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ لِمَا فِيهَا مِنَ التَّجَاوِيفِ وَالْكُهُوفِ فَإِنَّهَا وَمَا شَاكَلَهَا تَرَدَّدَ صَدَ الْأَصْوَاتِ الْعَالِيَ غَالِبًا So the shaykh says it is amazing that especially the small pebbles, they do the tasbih of Allah and there is nothing there in that pebble. A mountain, it's big, it has caves in it, it has other things in it, some sounds emanate from it, or it does the tasbih, it's not maybe as complex to the mind to understand but these small pebbles, nothing in them, a tiny pebble, break it, nothing. Yet it does the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also. Then that indicates the greatness of this affair. Then if we come on to the meaning of the tasbih, some of the explanations of the scholars in terms of the meanings of the tasbih. So we have here, la raiba. أن التسبيح يعد من الأصول المهمة والأسس المتينة التي ينبني عليها المعتقد فيما يتعلق بمعرفة الرب تبارك وتعالى وأسمائه وصفاته إذ إن المعتقد في الأسماء والصفات يقوم على أصلين عظيمين وأساسين متينين هما الإثبات للصفات بلا تمثيل وتنزيه الله عن مشابهة المخلوقات بلا تعطيل In terms of the meaning of subhanallah of the tasbih of Allah the glorification of Allah to understand that you must understand the two general principles when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah there are two basic principles. One is affirmation, the affirmation of the names and attributes of Allah without resemblance, making the affirmation of the names and attributes of Allah without falling into resemblance of anything. And secondly, negating from Allah and separating from Allah any form of deficiency and shortcoming without actually rejecting the attributes. You affirm the attributes, but you remove from Allah any form of deficiency or shortcoming because there is no deficiency and shortcoming.
to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those two things are where the people of innovation went astray basically. Some of them they affirmed the names and attributes of Allah, but they took it so far, too far, they began comparing the names and attributes of Allah to creation. They affirmed them, but to such a level they began imagining and comparing them to the attributes of creation, which is incorrect. We affirm them without making resemblance. And others, they rejected them. Because they said, if you affirm them, then this could indicate this deficiency and that deficiency and this deficiency and that deficiency. So they rejected the names and attributes of Allah. We say, no, you affirm them, but you reject those deficiencies and you remove any deficiency from Allah. This statement, tasbih, subhanallah, is from that side of it. It is removing from Allah any concept of deficiency or shortcoming. There is no deficiency and shortcoming to Allah. And the tasbih, that's where it is. It is a glorification of Allah in declaring that Allah is the mighty and majestic and powerful with no deficiency or shortcoming with no element of weakness of any nature, all of those deficiencies and shortcomings are removed from Allah, and that is where the meaning of subhanallah revolves around. Because tasbih, the meaning of the word in the Arabic language, indicates distancing, to distance something from somewhere else. And the point here is to distance any shortcomings or deficiencies away from Allah. That's where the word tasbih, subhanallah, linguistically in the language comes from. To distance something away. So when you say subhanallah, then it is that you are distancing from Allah any concept, any idea of any shortcoming or deficiency from Allah. وَمَعْنَا التَّنْزِيهُ أو تَنْزِيهُ اللَّهِ مِنَ السُّوءِ تَبْعِيدُهُ مِنْهُ وَكَذَلِكَ تَسْبِيحُهُ تَبْعِيدُهُ So when you say subhanallah, it is the meaning of all deficiencies and evils being distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. سَبَّحْتُ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِذَا أَبْعَدْتَ فِيهَا وَمِنْهُ قَوْلُهُ جَلَّ وَعَزْ وَكُلٌّ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَحُونَ وَكَذَلِكَ وَالسَّابِحَاتِ سَبَحَاتِ In the Qur'an where it talks about the planetary bodies كُلٌّ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَحُونَ يَسْبَحُونَ تَسْبِيح That they're all distanced in their areas and they move in the ways that they move كُلٌّ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَحُونَ in their distanced areas. فَالتَّسْبِيحُ هُوَ عِبْعَادُ إِبْعَادُ صِفَاتِ النَّقْسِ مِنْ أَن تُضَافَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَتَنْزِيهُ الرَّبِّ سُبْحَانَهُ عَنِ السُّوءِ وَعَمَّا لَا يَلِيقُ بِهِ So the point of Subhanallah, it is that you are separating from Allah any form of deficiency or shortcoming, and therefore you are affirming to Allah absolute perfection in all of his names and attributes.
There are some narrations of the Salaf that highlight this point. It is mentioned from Mujahid. He said, At-Tasbihu inkifafu Allahi min kulli su' It is removing from Allah every evil. Every evil, every badness, every deficiency, none of that is applicable to Allah. Removing from Allah all such affairs. In another narration from Maymun ibn Mehran, Subhanallahi ismun yu'azzamullahu bih wa yahasha bihi min as-su' Subhanallah is a name that you indicate the greatness of Allah with. When you say Subhanallah, it is the greatness of Allah. Wa yuhasha bihi min as-su' And you are separating from him any evil. And there are many others like that. Abu Ubaida, Ma'amar ibn al-Muthanna, Subhanallah, Tanzihullahi wa tabri'atuhu. It is to separate from Allah and to declare the innocence of Allah from any uh, shortcomings and deficiencies. So these are the meanings that the word Subhanallah revolves around. It revolves around glorifying Allah, i.e. emphasizing the greatness of Allah, the might and majesty of Allah, and freeing from Allah, and separating from Allah, distancing from Allah, any form of shortcoming or deficiency. That's essentially the meaning of Subhanallah. Ibn Rajab said in the Quran where it says, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ So do the tasbih of the praises of your Lord. أَيْ سَبِّحْهُ بِمَا حَمِدَ بِهِ نَفْسَهُ إِذْ لَيْسَ كُلُّ تَسْبِيحٍ بِمَحْمُودٍ كَمَا أَنَّ تَسْبِيحَ الْمُعْتَزِلَ يَقْتَضِ تَعْطِيلْ كَثِيرٍ مِنَ الصِّفَاتِ in the Quran, sometimes when you see it says, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ And do the tasbih of Allah through the praise of Allah. Because not every type of tasbih is praiseworthy. Meaning, some of the people of innovation like the Mu'tazila, they exaggerated in the tasbih of Allah. They exaggerated and they said the only way you can remove deficiencies from Allah is to basically reject the names and attributes. Because if you don't, then you're always going to leave a door open to some deficiencies. And that was their misunderstanding. So they took it to an extreme and said you can only do the reality of the tasbih of Allah by removing from Allah the names and attributes and rejecting them. Because if you affirm them, then you're going to be leaving the door open to some deficiency. And of course, there is no door open. The names and attributes of Allah are the most perfect and beautiful of the names and attributes. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُهُ بِهَا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the most perfect and beautiful of names. So call upon him via those names. 
So here in the Quran where it says, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ Do the tasbih by the praise of your Lord, meaning do the tasbih of Allah in the manner that is praiseworthy of Allah and what Allah has praised Himself with. Praised Himself with the affirmation of His names and attributes. Then you praise Allah in that regard. And you do not do what the people of innovation did in exaggerating and claiming that the only way you can praise Allah and free Allah from deficiency is to just reject all of the names and attributes. Because if you do that though, as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, if you just reject all of the names and attributes of Allah, then in reality you are worshipping non-existence, nothing. If something has no names and no attributes, then it is nothing. If it has no names, no attributes, then that thing is nothing. Because anything will always have some name or attribute. Something will always have some name or attribute. But nothingness has no Names and attributes to it, nothing, non-existence. So Ibn Taymiyyah said, if you reject all of the names and attributes of Allah, you haven't done the glorification of Allah, you haven't praised Allah, you've declared Allah to be equivalent to nothingness. And that isn't praise. That is not praise that you say, or the way that you explain it, ends up being non-existence, nothingness, they are not praiseworthy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is not praised with saying non-existence to him or nothingness to him. So they exaggerated in their claim of freeing Allah from any deficiencies. So Ahlul Sunnah, we have the middle and balanced pathway upon the evidences of the Qur'an and the Sunnah in terms of the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, and we reject any deficiencies and shortcomings and comparisons and resemblances that people uh, may be making in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَفِي كَلَامِهِ هَذَا رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ إشارة رحمه الله إشارة إلى أن التعظيم والتنزيه إن لم يكن على هدي الكتاب والسنة فإنه يكون غاية التعطيل ومنتهى الجحود والعياذ بالله. So the point here is that if the tasbih is not done upon the basis of the Quran and the Sunnah, then in that case a person may end up in exaggeration outside of what is legislated and will fall into ta'atil, the rejection of the names and attributes of Allah. وَمُنْتَهَ الْجُحُودُ وَالْعِيَادُ بِاللَّهِ وَمَنْ يَتَأَمَّلُ حَالَ الطَّوَائِفِ الضَّالَّةِ وَالْفِرَقِ الْمُنْحَرِفَةِ الَّتِي سَلَكَتْ فِي التَّنْزِيهِ وَالتَّعَظِيمِ هَذَا الطَّرِيقِ يَجِدُ أَنَّهُمْ لَمْ يَسْتَفِيدُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ سِوَى التَّنَقُّصِ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَجَحْدِ صِفَاتِ كَمَالِهِ وَنِعُوتِ جَلَالِهِ And the people of innovation, 
who tread upon that pathway, they went into exaggeration that you can't affirm this to Allah, you can't affirm that to Allah, because if you affirm these types of names and attributes to Allah, then there could be resemblance and there could be this and there could be that. So they said, reject them all. That's what the people of innovation fell into. And as a consequence, they never benefited from this apparent so-called tasbih of theirs, of Allah. They never benefited from that. In fact, they did the opposite. They fell into declaring a deficiency to Allah. The nothingness to Allah. They ended up declaring a deficiency to Allah by rejecting the beautiful and perfect names and attributes of Allah. حَتَّى آلَ الْأَمَرِ بِبَعْضِهِمْ فِي التَّنْزِيهِ إِلَى الْاعْتِقَادِ بِأَنَّهُ لَيْسَ فَوْقَ الْعَرْشِ إِلَاهٌ يُعْبَدُ وَلَا رَبٌ يُصَلَّى لَهُ وَيُسْتَدُوا تَعَالَ اللَّهُ عَمَّا يَقُولُونَ Some of them went to such an extreme that they began to say that there is no Lord above the throne to be worshipped and no Lord to be prayed to and there is no Lord to prostrate to. So they went to that extreme in claiming they are doing tasbih of Allah until it became non-existent. Non-existence in rejecting all of the names and attributes of Allah. So in conclusion here, إِنَّ التَّسْبِيحَ طَاعَةٌ عَظِيمَةٌ وَعِبَادَةٌ جَلِيلَةٌ The tasbih is a great act of worship. It is a great obedience. وَاللَّهُ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَ يُحِبُّ الْمُسَبِّحِينَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who do the tasbih of Him. وَالْوَاجِبُ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ الْمُؤْمِنِ أَنْ يَكُونَ فِي تَسْبِيحِهِ لِرَبِّهِ عَلَىٰ هَدِّ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ And what is obligatory upon a servant is that when you do the tasbih, you are doing it in accordance to what you find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. فَيُسَبِّحُ اللَّهُ وَيُنَزِّهُهُ عَنْ كُلِّ مَا لَا يَلِيقُ بِهِ مِنَ النَّقَائِصِ وَالْعِيُوبِ وَيُثْبِتُ لَهُمْ عَذَالِكَ نُعُوتَ جَلَالِهِ وَصِفَاتِكَ مَالِهِ So you reject from Allah any deficiencies, any shortcomings, but alongside that you affirm all of the tremendous and complete and perfect attributes to Allah. And you do not go beyond what you find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. لا يتجاوز في ذلك كله كتاب الله وسنة رسوله And that's why Imam Ahmad said, لا يوصف الله إلا بما وصف به نفسه أو وصفه به رسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يتجاوز القرآن والحديث that Allah is not to be described with anything except that which he described himself with or what his messenger described him with and you do not go beyond what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that's a rule which applies to all forms of dhikr. Because this is one of the biggest things that people, they fall into innovation on. When they start making up all types of different things, claiming it is from dhikr. Turning off the lights and sitting in a circle and moving their heads and all types of affairs. 
that they claim is from dhikr and they claim it is to do the remembrance of Allah and that these rewards will be for them. All these rewards and things that we've mentioned here, the virtues, they are that you do the tasbih upon the sunnah, that you do the tasbih in the way that it's been mentioned and evidenced upon the methods and the manners, not that you invent them yourselves. Sometimes bid'ah doesn't have to be something original. Doing the tasbih, is it from the sunnah or not? Sunnah. But then the manner in how you do it could be the bid'ah. The manner in how you do it, that's where the bid'ah may occur. So that isn't a bid'ah which is original bid'ah. It's not original because the tasbih is evidenced. That's something that you do do. But now the method of how they do it is where the innovation has occurred. Sitting in a circle, turn the lights off, all these kinds of things. They are innovations. They are innovations that have been built upon a worship that was established in the religion. So that is a type of bid'ah. That is a type of bid'ah where the original act of worship is established, authentic. But then they add on something to that. It's known as bid'ah idafiyah. When you add on to something which is established, you add on things that are not established. And by adding on those things in the methods and the manners and how and what you do, you end up making the action a bid'ah. Even though originally that action was a sunnah. So doing the tasbih is a sunnah. But how people do it and what they do may end up making their actions a bid'ah. So they may say to you, but we're doing tasbih. How can that be bid'ah? We say doing tasbih isn't bid'ah. But what you're doing and how you're doing it, all these actions are bid'ah. Nobody told you to do tasbih like this. No one told you to turn off the lights and sit in circles and move the heads and all these things. Those are all actions of bid'ah. Doing tasbih isn't. But this, how you've done it and what you've added on to this tasbih, that is all bid'ah. So the tasbih which is praiseworthy is the one that will be done in accordance to what is evidenced in the Qur'an and the sunnah. Not these affairs that people make up on top after that. That brings you to the end of the chapter regarding subhanallah. The next chapter that begins after that is the statement alhamdulillah. So it's going to be similar We'll mention the different ayat in the Qur'an where Alhamdulillah is mentioned and the meanings of that and the virtues of that. So that will be the next section and the next chapter regarding Alhamdulillah, the evidences in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah regarding that statement and the times when it is more like mustahab to say Alhamdulillah. There are certain times Certain times in the sunnah where you're supposed to say Alhamdulillah, it is more recommended, mustahab, in certain occasions to say Alhamdulillah. So we'll go through those as well. That's mentioned here as well about the certain times when you're supposed to say the uh, Alhamdulillah. And that will all be the next chapter we'll begin with next time, inshaAllah ta'ala. Any questions up to there then? Is that it will enable us to uh, focus more, it will enable us to concentrate more. 
so we don't expect any reward or any sort of this uh, any sort of so we just do it to uh, increase uh, concentration we do zikr together uh, in gatherings so that uh, it's not acceptable this type of explanation they give that all these other things turning the lights off and uh, sitting and moving the heads and it's all just to focus it's not about worship you can't use these types of examples all of these actions that they are doing now they want to claim none of them are actions of worship none of them are ibadah none of this is getting you closer to Allah they do not believe that they don't believe that themselves they do all of these actions and the way that they do them because they believe doing it like this will give you more reward. It will be better that you sit together like this and you turn the lights off and you can focus and whatever they say. And the reality is there's no focus and there's none of this stuff like that. If this was the method that's going to give you the most focus and give you the most ikhlas and give you the most ability to do this worship in this way, then the companions would have been the first people to do it. They would have been the first ones. In those days, the Prophet's mosque never used to have any lights. There were no lights in the Prophet's mosque. He used to have the grass thatched roof, and there weren't even doors. There was no door, just an opening in the wall where the entrance and exit was. There wasn't even a door to close it. It's mentioned how the dogs used to just walk on the street. So the point is, in those days, the companions, if they wanted to do it like that, sit in the dark at night in the mosque, they could have done so. More focus, more concentration. You can't claim that there are ways of doing worship now that are better than the way that the companions did the worship and the way that the Prophet did the worship. If this way was better and you can get more focus, the Prophet would have showed us this way. Hmm. So what is the purpose of them doing uh, these activities? What do you mean, what's the purpose? I mean, what, uh, the turning off the lights and uh, what do you think? Uh, is there? there is no doubt that they think this is from the affairs that will increase their worship and their ibadah and their reward. There's no doubt. They cannot say none of this has got anything to do with ibadah. It's just a statement. They say to Khalas, why are you doing it there then? If you want to focus, you can sit in your house then. You can sit in the corner of the mosque and focus. You don't have to turn the lights off. How is that focus? You turn the lights off, you can't see what's going on and people moving their heads and all sorts. I remember uh, years ago, 30 years ago, uh, when uh, some kids... In the local mosque in, uh, where we live in Nelson, when they built a Sufi mosque about 30 years ago, or more than that, it was about 30, 32, 33 years ago, something like that, 34 years ago, in the, in the late 80s, a long time ago, they built that mosque, and we were young in those days, and one of the kids, he said, I went in one day to this new mosque, and it was all dark, everything was dark, and I could hear some noises, it was dark, and I could hear some noises, and I, I was looking in the room and I couldn't see what's going on and I could hear noises and I could see some movements. And he said, I got scared. I, okay, I came out. <laughs> and they were doing the dhikr. This is their dhikr. They would turn the lights off and they're sitting there and humming and noises coming. This small kid walked in thinking, what's going on here? All the lights are off and everything's off and there's noise coming and these people are like in a trance. He said, I got scared. So for them to claim none of this is worship and this is giving you more khushua, it's all explanations to try to justify their bid'ah. Yeah, the, uh, authentic hadith related to tasbih, uh, which mean, meaning while Prophet ﷺ was uh, alive and some companions were doing zikr in a new form, hmm? then uh, some sahabi, I'm not sure, it's Abdullah bin Masood, he said while Prophet ﷺ 
is alive and you are doing a new form of no, I think you mean uh, the narration when they were using the date seeds. Yes. They were using the date seeds. And the Prophet had just passed away. Yeah. He had just passed away. They were doing the date seeds. Yeah, there's a narration about this. They were doing the date seeds. And then uh, they weren't the companions. They weren't the companions doing that. So they were doing it in the date seeds. And then uh, the companion said to them, one of them said to him, that now the Prophet's uh, uh, utensils and his clothes are still in his house. I mean, he just passed away just passed away recently and already you are doing these things now with these date seeds using those to count subhanallah 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 he said why are you doing this and then he mentioned to them um, uh, he said to them what was this phrase he used the phrase in the narration he said to them in the hadith that even when you are looking for something good, your intention is good, then you will not necessarily end up getting good. So they thought they were doing good. They thought they were doing good. Tasbih. But they were using these date seeds, which was never from the sunnah of the Prophet to do it like that. But they thought they were doing good. But this was actually not good. It was a bid'ah now. It would be something incorrect now. They've invented a new way of doing this dhikr that was not from the Sunnah of the Prophet So they were rebuked for that and it was explained to them it's impermissible. You said the Prophet ate some meat and that spoke. Wasn't it? He ate some meat and he did eat some meat. You know when he said he ate some meat and he spoke. Some scholars claim that the Jewish woman, that was the pause that the Prophet there was an effect from it, yeah. They say they say there was an effect from it. So why did he eat some meat? Allah, but this is how it was. But the narration then mentions the meat spoke to him and told him that it is poisoned. There is some narrations about some effect, but I don't know if it's from this hadith. I don't know if it's from this hadith particularly. I don't know. Ustad, I had a question. Does does a person have do women have to pay zakat on their? This is a difference of opinion between the scholars. Jewelry that women have, personal jewelry that they wear, don't have to wear it all the time, but they wear it now and again. It's their personal jewelry that they wear. They haven't got it there to do business with. They're not looking at the prices when they can sell it. It's their personal jewelry at home. They wear it at weddings, this, that, the other events, family gatherings, whatever it might be. There's a difference of opinion between the scholars whether you have to give zakat on that or not. There There's is, a difference. There are hadith for both sides. In the olden days, the fatwa of the major senior scholars just 50, 60 years ago, I think it was, in the olden days now, their fatwa used to be that there is no zakat on personal gold for women. But now, if you look now at the scholars, the majority of the scholars these days, they have the fatwa that there is, you should. You should give the zakat on the gold, which is a personal gold even. Uh, that, that's the, the, the fatwa which is mostly applied these days. If you look at the, uh, the scholars in Saudi and other places, the senior scholars today, their fatwa is give zakat on it. 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was different. 50, 60, 70 years ago, the permanent committee and the major scholars at that time, their fatwa used to be there's no zakat on that type of gold. But now it's changed. A lot of the scholars, after reviewing things, they have come to the conclusion you should give it. So even uh, zakat is uh, further on those ornaments which a lady wears uh, in According to the uh, opinion of many of the scholars today, that's one opinion, yes. 
There is another opinion that says no. There's a big difference on that so, one. Uh, what is the most uh, authentic opinion? Allah alam. I think pro- probably the safer opinion, no doubt, the safest opinion is to give the zakat on it. Mm. So, is it a bit hard to specify specific times or days of the week to do certain adhar? Yeah, if a person made like a, a schedule because they believe that there is certain virtue to this schedule, like they do in Medina, they say go to the Prophet's grave every Jumu'ah or after uh, Fajr on a Thursday. They have certain schedules like that. That would not be permissible to make those kinds of schedules. And it's not something you schedule. This isn't something that you schedule as such. It's not like you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to put some time aside. I need to put it into my schedule where I'm going to do some remembrance like this and thicker. This is something you should be doing as a within your affairs. You're driving from one place to another, you can be doing the tasbih. You're walking from one place to another, you can be doing it. You're sitting waiting for a class to start, you can be doing it. It's not something you set time aside for specifically, you're going to do it like that anyway, really. It's something you should accustom yourselves to doing generally. Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today then. We'll start next week with the next section. Again, it will be closer to 8.45-ish, inshallah.